Pastor Xavier Reese, making preparation for spiritual battle on today's Simple Truths. You know, just as a man who enlists in the military service, he knows that it is his wisdom to learn all well in preparation for war if he expects to survive. So the people of God were to give care and attention to God's instructions because he was preparing them for warring. Every born-again believer is born into spiritual warfare. And so we need to be open to the preparations of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether it's taking a mathematics exam in grade school or the bar exam following law school, adequate preparation is a must for a successful outcome. And so it was for the Israelites before setting out for the Promised Land, following their test of faith through 400 years of slavery at the hand of Egypt. In fact, God identified several areas of necessary preparation for an organized trek to the Promised Land. And coming up, Pastor Xavier opens up the Old Testament book of Numbers to glean what simple truths have application for believers today in their own spiritual walk. Let's listen. The commentary on the book of Numbers is that it was written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope that they are types to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they did, and that all these things happen to them as types written for our admonition. And you find that in the New Testament in Romans 15:4, 1 Corinthians 10:6 and 11. This morning we want to look at three things that are in type form in the book of Numbers relating to God's preparation of Israel's journey and see how God has done the same for us, the church. There are three things we want to look at. First of all, the preparation for warring. Second, the preparation for walking. And thirdly, the preparation for working. Three things. Preparation for warring, preparation for walking, preparation for working. And they're all found in the book of Numbers. In chapter 1, we get the census, which was for the purpose of military defense and conquest. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, From 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. He repeats it in verse 20 and in verse 45, just to mention a few. Notice the age from 20 and above. Secondly, the condition being able to go to war. The total number was 603,550. You get that in chapter 2, verse 32. Notice the census exempted one group, the Levites. It was at God's command that the exemption came, not at the will of Moses or Aaron, but by God's proclamation. And we find that in chapter 1, verse 47, on down. But the Levites were not numbered among their, as their father's tribe, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. So God is the one who chose to exempt the Levites. The command came from God. God has something else for them. The Levites were to be appointed over the tabernacle service. You find that in chapter 1, Verse 50, 
where he says, But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. Remember the book of Numbers goes back into Exodus. Well, we get the whole thing from chapter 25 on, all the different things for the tabernacle, the tent, the labor, the table, the ark, all of that kind of stuff. And so God exempted the Levites by His command. The Levites were to be appointed for the tabernacle service. He also mentions it in chapter 3, verse 8, where He says, Also they shall attend to the furnishings of the tabernacle meeting, and to the needs of the children of Israel, and to do the work of the tabernacle. Now, this is where you have to study the book of Numbers. Because it's not written in some chronological order. You've got to study it. You've got to know it. You've got to see how it is. This is where your responsibility comes in as a student of the Word of God. So you become familiar with it. They were appointed to sacrifice, service of the tabernacle, and service of the camp. That was their appointment. Also, the Levites alone were to break down and to set up the tabernacle, lest God strike the person dead. And you get that in chapter 1, verse 51. When the tabernacle goes forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Notice how God begins to make very specific appointments. Now, remember that because in the church... We start looking at God's specific appointments and we start looking at it with the eyes and the mind of the world and we think that it's like a corporate level and people are there by their own choosing because of power, because of manipulation. That should never be the way we look at the church as Christians. I'm not saying there are no abuses by people. I'm saying be careful because of the abuses that you look at all churches like that and you become really in opposition to the work of God. You have to look to the scriptures. The Levites would camp immediately around the tabernacle as the go-betweens, the intercessors to keep God's wrath from being poured out. It says there, chapter 1, verse 52 and 3. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone in his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel, and the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. They were the buffer between God and Israel. God's wrath would come upon them. We're going to get cases where Moses and Aaron have to intercede because of the rebellion, because of disobedience. We're going to get a lot of that stuff. This is foundational for all the messages to come. Very important for you to understand it. The trumpet alarm would be sounded by the Levites as Israel went out to war, and they would be remembered by the Lord to give them victory over their enemies. Chapter 10, verse 8 and 9 says. That's a very interesting verse. Lest they catch vision of their own might. It was God who was giving them the victory. Chapter 10, verse 8 and 9. He says, And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpet, and they shall be as you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war, your land against the enemies who oppress you, then you shall sound the alarm with a trumpet, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Interesting. In that same chapter, we get the trumpet's going to sound for breaking camp, for setting up camp, for, for calling gatherings, for, for different things. Everything was in order. Everything had a meaning. Everything had a, a purpose for it. You know, just as a man who enlists in the military service, he knows that 
It is his wisdom to learn all well in preparation for war if he expects to survive. So the people of God were to give here and attention to God's instructions because he was preparing them for warring. The world is a very dangerous place. If you are not having your heart open for the preparation of warring, you will be a victim. You will be a casualty. The world is a very dangerous place for Christians. And it makes it much more difficult when you have so much carnality in the church. It's bad enough there's opposition from the world. We don't need it from our flesh. We don't need it from, from our catering to our flesh. And so we need to be open to the preparations of God. The census of God for the New Testament, saying, acknowledges every believer able to go to war on the basis of two things. There's no more exemptions. You can't get exempted from warfare. It's based on two things. Number one, every born-again believer is born again into the kingdom of God, is born into spiritual warfare, opposed to the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 says that he goes as a roaring lion. Who? Satan. Seeking whom he may devour. The minute you're born again, you're born into warfare. Did you notice that when you were born again? Things got a little tougher, baby, than better? Warfare. Are you aware of it or are you oblivious to it? Some Christians walk around like, you know, oh, it's okay, no problem, you know. Or like if they can really take on Satan. And they're going around trying to bind him and everything else and he's beating them up. You're no match for Satan and neither am I. The angel... Michael met him. He says, the Lord rebuke you. That's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. Don't go around trying to bind him or do your thing with him. You just keep the Lord between you and him, and you'll be real safe. But there is a spiritual warfare. And I'm sure you're aware of it every day in your life with your marriage, with your kids, with the schools, with your job, with all kinds of things, your desires and the things that God wants you to do, your church involvement, everything else. There's a warfare to oppose you, to defeat you, to weaken you, to discourage you. To put fear in your heart. Two reasons for the exemption. The first one, you're born into the kingdom. No one's exempted. Everybody must fight that spiritual warfare. Secondly, every believer is prepared and equipped for the warfare. Therefore, they are commanded to put on the whole armor of God. Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. So he tells you to put on the whole armor, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, girded with the, loins of, with the loins of truth, and the feet with the preparation of the gospel. All of that. No armor in the back. You are born into warfare. You are given an armor, and you better put it on. And you better know that you may not be in a battle, but you are in a war zone, so don't take it off. Because the enemy's out there. But secondly, every believer is pre a prepared soldier of the Lord and calls so because there is no more priest to intercede on earth for man. The New Testament tells us that we are a kingdom of priests to bring praise to God in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. So there's the priesthood of the believer today. All of us go to war. If we're going to look at the Old Testament, then all of us were to just stick around and not go to war. But the fact that there's no more priests, that means we're all soldiers. And yet, in fact, in spite of that, he still says that we are the priesthood of the believer. Why? Because all of us can go to God alone. You do not need me to go to God. You can go to God yourself through Jesus Christ. What a tremendous privilege. 
2 Timothy 2, 3-4, endure hardness as a good soldier, knowing who you have enlisted for and you want to please Him. Many difficult battles in life. You must prepare for warring. The believers, though they walk in a flesh body, they do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, bringing down the strongholds of the enemy, casting down every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. The weapons provided for us are very clear. The Lord Jesus Christ used them in His temptation in the wilderness over Satan. Here they are. Don't miss them. One, in His baptism, He was praying. Prayer. Secondly, as He came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him. Are you baptized with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? Does the Spirit come upon you? I don't care what you call it. You better have it. Third, He used the Word of God. There's your weapons. Not carnal. Spiritual. You don't use them, you'll be defeated. The preparation for warring. How are you doing? You need to take hold of that preparation. Secondly is the preparation for walking. Notice that each tribe had a specific location in the camp. In chapter 2, in verse 3, on the east side, Judah was to camp. Then in verse 10 of chapter 2, Reuben on the south. Then in verse 18 of chapter 2, Ephraim on the west. And then verse 25, Dan on the north side of the camp. Each and every one of them had their own geographical location. Number one, to be able to identify their family. Number two, to be able to know where to go no matter where they camped because they always camped at different places. Very important. They didn't have Sunset Boulevard and Vine or whatever and they, they just sat down and think, well, you know, and they knew Northwest, East, South and this is where the family were. They knew it in their mind and they knew exactly where to go. Kids got lost. The kids knew exactly where to go. Just make a left on Manasseh and a right on Ephraim and you're right there. <laughs> Notice also each tribe was not alone. In chapter 2, verse 5 and 7, Judah had Issachar and Zebulun. Be careful as you're a Christian who think you can walk alone. It is better for two that they walk together because if one falls, the other one helps them up. If you're a Christian and you're always on your own, you're doing your thing, you think that you don't need the body of Christ, you think you don't need anybody, you be careful because the enemy is going to gobble you up. Judah had Issachar and Zebulun. Then Reuben, in verse 12 and 14, had Simeon and Gad. Ephraim, in verse 20 and 22, had Manasseh and Benjamin. And Dan had Asher and Naphtali, in verse 27 and 29. You need me. I need you. The body of Christ is a corporate body. You're not alone. You do not minister alone. You are not alone from the whole body of Christ. You are an intricate part, as we're going to see. No one is sent to do something alone by God. There's always some kind of connection and relationship to others in the body of Christ. God knows that. He sent them out two by two, the disciples. Not alone. 
Oh, Lord, let's do this. Let's all go alone because we can cover more ground. <laughs> alone, you won't cover no ground. The ground will cover you. Notice also each had a leader. In chapter 2, verse 3, the latter portion, Judah had Nashon. Reuben had Elizur in verse 10, the middle portion. Ephraim had Elishama, verse 18. And Dan had Ahazer, verse 25, the middle portion. Now this may seem monotonous to you and, and real boring, but listen. God has recorded all these particular and meticulous details to teach us. Preparation for walking takes order, takes time, takes instructions, obedience, attention. Not only each had a leader, but each tribe had an order to break camp. Can you imagine this whole mob just, you know, breaking up on their own? Okay, let's see who gets there first. What a mess. Can you imagine the parade that runs at the end of the year? And they say, hey, we're, this year we're not going to have an organization. Just meet down there and everybody just go down whenever they want. What a parade, huh? In chapter 2, verse 9, and we get the specifics of the breaking camp in that in chapter 2 and chapter 10. But Judah broke camp first from the east, chapter 2, 9, and chapter 10, verse 14. It says this, The standard of the camp of the children of Judah set out first according to their armies over their army was Nashon and the son of Aminadab. They were first to break camp. Secondly, then, the tabernacle was to be taken down by the Gershonites and the Merarites. Notice this. Judah goes first with two other tribes. That means three before it. In chapter 10, verse 17, it says this. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershom and the sons of Merarites set out carrying the tabernacle. So all the guys, and we're going to see later on, they took down all the tent cord, the pillars, the sockets, all that, all the stuff. They would be the first. Everything would be taken down. They would boogie first. You've got thousands and really millions of people we're going to see. It's a long march. So they take off first. The second one to bring camp was Reuben, chapter 216 and chapter 10, verse 18, from the south. Then... The sacred ark and the furnishings would be carried by the Kohathites, chapter 10, verse 21. Listen to what it says. Then the Kohathites set out carrying the holy thing. The tabernacle would be prepared for the arrival. So get this picture. Okay? You got to use your imagination. The furnishings follow afterwards. Why? Because three, four hours before, the first ones would get there. They set up camp. And then the priests would get there with the first ones with the, with the tabernacle poles and pillars, and they would set it all up. So when the Kothites came three, four hours later, they take the furnishings right in. No time is lost. Hey, God's not bad, huh? <laughs> Efficiency. Then Ephraim broke camp, thirdly, from the west, chapter 224 and chapter 10, verse 22. And then last Dan broke camp, from the north, chapter 231 and chapter 10, verse 25. Now, the need for orderly function was for the efficiency, for it is estimated that the population was anywhere from 2 to 3 million people. Now, the scholars and the critics have a great time with this number. They say, no way, you guys are crazy. The scriptures are in error. There is no way that many people can survive out there, everything else. Hey, they forgot about one thing. God. He fed him with manna. He brought in quail miraculously. 
He struck the rock and water came forth through the hand of Moses. They leave the, the most important element out. Now, let's just kind of challenge their objection. We know that the number of the men able to go to war was 603,550. We already saw that. That's from 20 years old upward. That doesn't include babies to 19. Okay? So we won't even calculate that figure. So we start with 603,550. Let's allow one woman for every man. So that makes it two times 603,550. And let's allow two children conservatively, just with one woman, two kids for each couple. That would bring it to 2,414,200. Not far from 2.5 million. If you add four to five kids, you've already over 3, 4 million. And we haven't even calculated the mixed multitude that was with them from Egypt. Incredible, huh? Now, the order in which they broke camp is most interesting, particularly in view of the traditional acceptance for their emblems on their banners, because they were to camp according to their banners. And it's significant in relationship to the coming of Jesus Christ. The banner of Judah is traditionally accepted to be the lion, symbolic of king. Well, Jesus came as king of the Jews. The banner of Reuben is traditionally accepted to be the face of a man, symbolic of the incarnation of Jesus. It was the king of the Jews who came as a man. The third order of breaking a camp was from Ephraim, traditionally accepted as the ox, the banner, symbolic of the servant, Jesus, one who works. Jesus said, I came to do the work of the Father. The last one was Dan, and traditionally the banner was accepted as the eagle, symbolic of the Son of God. Jesus declared he was the Son of God, John 10, 33, Mark 14, 61 through 62. All these things, the lion, Genesis 49, 10, Revelation 5, 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he, shall, he has prevailed. The man, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. He emptied Himself of His glory, not His deity, and He took on the form of a servant. He humbled Himself. Therefore, a name has been given to Him above every other name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Son of God, John, declared clearly before the Sanhedrin, Are you the Son of God? You said it. <laughs> Interesting. So the order of the breaking of the camp is very important in relationship to the order of the mission of Jesus Christ is coming. But also these four faces are also found in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation. And they are believed to be representative of the distinctive Gospels, one from the other. The faces are found in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 14, and Revelations chapter 4, verse 7. So you have Matthew as the lion, the king, gospel. You have Mark as the ox, the servant of man. You have Luke, the man, Jesus, the incarnation. You have John, the eagle, the son of God. And that's the way those Gospels portray 
the person of Jesus Christ. And so all of these types point to the person of Jesus Christ. It points to the instruction of God for His people. Pastor Xavier Reese has been drawing out the unmistakable images we find of the gospel of the coming Savior in the Old Testament book of Numbers today on Simple Truths. And there's much more of this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply God's Preparation of His People. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or a Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is God's Preparation of His People, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com